0: I
1: wish I could break free, back to where I'm supposed to be. I wish I could break free, back to where I'm
0: supposed to be. Welcome back to the Signal the Noise podcast on Pro Sound Web, Michael. How's it going?
2: I'm good. How are you, man? We're we're hanging in there. You know, it's uh, starting to get rough out there. But as we were just talking, there trying to just do the best we can
0: yeah um yeah i think i think kyle is off um he had a couple different interviews couple of roller skating rinks you know there's not too many in st louis but uh he's uh, he'll 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 land that gig that's for sure but um no on a serious note um you know look we're all in this together in this industry um and know what's going on right now. We don't want to spend too much time on that in terms of just, you know, the cancellations and and just the unknown. Um, I do want to make it a point to point out though, that uh, everyone just to kind of, you know, just gut your gut check yourself on your mental health. Um, do some things to keep yourself busy, whether it's within this industry, whether it's training, whether it's reading a book, whether it's going outside, uh, please keep your mental health in check. Um, if you need people to reach out to, um, you know, we do have a Facebook group. There's a lot of uh, like-minded people in there, the Signal Singleton Noise um Facebook group. You can email us, uh single the number two uh podcast at and uh we'll help in any way possible. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, we plan on keep, you know, chugging away at these episodes, talking as many people as possible, hopefully bringing you guys some enjoyment, teaching you guys a few things, having some laughs. So, yeah, good times.
2: Yeah, Uh, I think I mean, I think that's the thing. You know, to me, there's a a lot of people that I'm talking to. They feel very powerless about this and it's very frustrating. And, you know, I think. I think the thing to realize is, although this is way bigger than anything that, that we can deal with, we're, we're not alone. You know, we're all, we're, like you said, we're all going through this together, and I'm, which is not easy. You know, I, I think it's tough because there's, there's no easy answers here, but we uh, do want to do as much as we can to talk to folks and to bring out some interesting conversations and to hopefully give people something to do uh, with their downtime. Um, so our guest today is my friend Tyler Walters. Um, I... I met Tyler originally uh, back in, I think it was probably May of this year, uh, of, of the last year. And um, it's about eight, nine months ago. And uh, I got a message on LinkedIn said, hey, I'm building, you know, I'm working on a sound system design here. And I just had a couple of questions about how you might want to do this. You know, how would you tune this subwoofer, right? And how would you align it with the mains? And and uh, so we were kind of talking and I, I looked at the design and I said, this is a really good design. I think I made like one minor suggestion about timing but i said this is you know it's really good design i don't really have anything to bring to the table here and when i looked the guy up it was uh Willie Nelson, system engineer. And I said, well, why are you asking me for tips? I should be asking you stuff. So so that is how I met uh, Mr. Tyler Walters. Um, And Tyler was the system engineer on the Willie Nelson's Outlaw Music Festival tour this summer. And it was Willie. It was Bonnie Raitt. It was Alison Krauss. There was Robert Plant. There was a whole bunch of really cool... Um, names on the bill and I got to go out and hang out with Tyler and see what he was doing. And He wrote a fantastic article about his work on that tour um, that is going to be in the link, uh, the description of this podcast and you can find it on Procon Web. and I'm really just excited to have Tyler here with us. Tyler, thanks for being here, man.
1: Oh, thanks for inviting me out, guys. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to uh, talk to other people in the industry and just, you know, it's sharing is caring in this industry for sure it's always good to chat and uh share some new things and learn some new things that's that's what makes the world go around especially for us
2: well i th- i think you know what was cool to me is seeing someone who's you know got an a-level touring gig who says hey what do you think about this what would you do differently and then you know the fact that i think a lot of people when they get to that point in their careers are like yeah I, you know i got this figured out but i mean you were so um game to just say well how would you do this what would you do differently and then we were able to throw a couple of ideas around and i think we you know you ended up with with a really really great design that that you know i can i can speak for it i went out and heard it and uh it sounded great and um you know so i think that's really cool you know that that spirit of continued learning and continued kind of talking chop and let's trade some techniques i you know that that's kind of that's a a value that i tried to let guide my own work professionally so it's really cool to see that attitude from you man
1: Oh man, I appreciate it well i you know it's I've learned so much from other people from just asking and having the attitude of hey how what's what's your thoughts on this? How do you approach this um is Is there something that you do differently that's worked well for you in the field, or hey, maybe uh maybe the white papers say this, and I went out and tried it, and I found it better if I did this instead of this. There's there's so much so much stuff you can learn just from just from asking, uh, and that's another thing. This this podcast is really great. I mean, you guys had the Godfather of system tuning a couple <laughs> weeks ago. That was a great episode. It was awesome. I was I was totally jealous that you guys got to sit down and talk with him. But at least you shared it and posted it. So that's that's just as good.
0: I think I think it goes back to like you know there there should be no pride in what we do in the, in the, in the, um, in the, in the bad sense of pride in that, like, uh, I'm, I'm, am better than you. I know more than you. Right. Like, you know, we, we're, you know, there, there are no like trade secrets or job security thing that we're trying to do here. Right. We should all be is an ongoing theme here. We're trying to better each other. Right. Like let's just make the next wave of, of shows and productions and people the next best thing. Like why, why would we inhibit any of that? Uh, and so, being open to, hey, I may have not been doing this the best way for X amount of time. What can I do to improve? And so, that's that's definitely the mindset that uh, I've tried to have and tried to help kind of instill through all of this, for sure.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. And you know what you were touching on earlier with uh, you know the mental health side of this industry. This industry is brutal on everyone's mental mm-hmm. health just to start with, and then you take a national crisis or a global crisis really that's going on right now that it's uh it's uncomfortable for people to think about but it's also important to know that there is a lot there's a lot of resources out there for people if they need help and mm-hmm. to reach out you know we're here to talk we're here to listen yes absolutely yeah,
2: absolutely tyler one of the things i i really um, found interesting about your job, you know, when you have all these major acts that are sharing, uh, you know, a PA and a front end, basically, um, you know, I, I work pretty closely with as a house systems engineer, you know, uh, when I'm in that role, I'm working pretty closely with whoever the the touring engineer is coming in to make sure that the PA is set up, you know, to the way that they want to mix onto it that night. And, um, you know, it's pretty much whatever their preferences, I'm, I'm going to try to accommodate that as, as, as well as, as I can. And so it's interesting for me, you have to kind of simultaneously accommodate four or five different front house engineers. So, I mean, can you talk a little bit about how you tried to manage that and and the different needs of the different acts and how you were sort of juggling those things?
1: You know, that's a, (laughs) that's a, every, every show, every day was different uh, out there because the band would change. So Mm -hmm. throughout most of that tour, we had, three acts that were constant throughout the whole thing. But then we had openers that would change and different, you know, different touring bands who could say, hello, I could just do it Friday or Saturday. Um, and, and a lot of the front of house engineers had different approaches on how they wanted the rig to sound. Um, so we had a couple constants we had. So we have the room, right? That's, that's going to be, it's going to change every day, but the room is the room and the engineers can't do anything about that. So, um, that was, uh, honestly, that was one thing I had on my side was that the room was set. You know, there were, there were going to be no changes other than, uh, bodies in the room. Uh, but, you know, I would try to, my main goal really was to, uh, aim the speakers properly and put the speakers where they needed to go for, uh, optimum, optimum energy in the listening area while minimizing any sort of bleed on stage. Uh, and any, you know, really, like, just getting any sort of reflective energy off of putting the energy where you want it and not trying to avoid any sort of reflective surface as much as possible, which we both, you know, everybody knows that that's a great, yeah, so great I, in theory. No, it's
0: a great point to stop there for a second in that... You know, what you said sounds so simple. Oh, yeah, let's point the speakers at the audience in the right direction. But, like, you know, it's it's sometimes the, the simplest things that we overlook on how much literally a degree or two of tilt up or down or left and right um, actually affect the overall what you do down down the line, right? So it's like, you know, it goes back to, like, the Bob McCarthy thing. It's like, you know, it's it, it starts at the source. You have to get that right first because anything you do after that you're just you're just compounding or there's going to be a point of diminishing return and so sure. it, it's it's not it's not something to take lightly getting your 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 aiming uh, your angle splay all of those things correct up front
1: yeah that's you know and that's the biggest the the single one thing that i would you know system guys audio guys who are going out tuning rooms or whatever You know, before you ever get to the tuning part, if if the speakers aren't put in the right place to begin with, you're just going to have a really hard time, and it's gonna, you're going to end up with a result that's a lot harder to get to, in the end, than it would be if you started your work on the front side of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, as Merlin said to us, uh, you know, he said, "I'm not aware of any uh, technology that can fix uh, the." putting the speaker in the wrong place. You know? <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like, yeah. and when I, I, when I get a call from a venue to go in and look at their system, I, you know, I say this all the time The the thing that I change more than anything else is speaker placement, speaker aim that, you know, and if that's not right, it's almost like I'm not even going to continue down the path of working on the system. If we, you know, if, if, if there's no EQ or delay setting in the world, it's going to fix the speaker being pointed up at the ceiling. So, You know, was that something that you had to try to establish with production management early on, like, you know, about getting the positions you needed or getting the rigging that you needed? I mean, what was that dialogue like for you?
1: You know, honestly, it was really easy. I think everybody was on the same page and I never really had any issues putting speakers where I wanted them. It was, there were different venues have different uh, physical issues so to speak of like oh well you can't hang a PA here because this beam only holds us X amount of weight or whatever but most of the time everybody was on the same page they said hey you do you and make sure that this is right and we will support you hundred percent it was there was no question about that I had total support from everybody out there which was great
2: should it be so easy as you say <laughs> <That> sounds, <laughs> sounds nice no and uh, you were using uh, you had a really nice uh, DnB rig and you were using the array processing, which, um, you know, I, I walked around a bit. And to me, at least the, the tour stop that I heard, you have really nice, even coverage, um, really good intelligibility over kind of the whole coverage area. Um, what was your daily process like, you know, tr- in terms of uh, dealing with the prediction for the space and, and getting it up and getting it tuned? How to, and, and, you know, the other thing that I thought was interesting about the whole gig is that, you know, most shows... Your doors are at what seven PM? I mean, you had doors at like two PM, so you you had oh, to compress man. everything
1: together. We were so up against the clock. I I think I slept less during that tour than I've. You know, it was it was like three and a half to four hours a night max. It was it was a lot of fun, um, but you know, with array processing, you have to have accurate room data for it to mm. function. Uh, that's kind of the biggest. Uh, think that if it's if your room data is off array processing will be off so making sure that that's accurate was once that was done I mean the software did most of the work you just you could fine tune the parameters of like do you want level loss or do you want even coverage you know like you could you Mm. could make the level loss follow uh, you could make it equally as loud in the back of the venue as you as in the front but you were also sacrificing tonality at that Mm. point so it was kind of a balancing act between do we want level loss to be the same front to back or do we want even tonality and 9 times out of 10 it was even tonality. I mean you're you're going to the audience is going to expect if they're in the the back row of an arena or an amphitheater or whatever it's not going to be as loud in the very last seat. Yeah. And that, that's, that's okay. Actually,
0: yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's something I think, and I can't remember if it was Merlin we talked to or who we talked to, but, like, we actually just talked about that of, like, uh, yeah, I think it was Merlin, uh, mm-hmm. was that, um, you know, the, yes, there, there's actually, it comes to a point where people actually almost purposely choose some of those places to hang out and congregate because they they expect it to be quieter. You know, you might have people who, you know, um, or you know, they're just a higher sensitivity, so they know they, they can gravitate to that place and deal with that. So, like, yeah, so it, it there actually is an acceptable tolerance of, like, Knowing that, hey, yes, you know, uh, you know, uh, a little bit of deviation is actually acceptable it, uh, it, from an SPL standpoint. Uh,
1: but yeah, but they still want the same experience, just at a lower volume. Mm-hmm. Sure, and you want your guest up front to have that full immersive experience. You know, they're paying they're paying higher money for the mm-hmm. ticket prices, all that. You know, you want those seats to really have the full energy of a PA. Um, and you know, that was super easy to do with array processing. It was. <laughs> I mean there there's some magic going on within that <laughs> software for sure some some sound voodoo so to speak
2: you know it was funny when i went out there and i, I there may be a picture of it in in your article um, if not, I'll dig through my my archives and see if we can find one for for the, the podcast description. But there were like six consoles in front of house, man. It was just bananas out
1: there. I've oh never, my gosh. Because I've
2: worked in that venue a bunch of times and I've never seen such a look like a garage sale, dude. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We had that was a new adventure every day as well. So like after getting up and shooting the room and coming up with a speaker calculation, the next order of business was always to figure out how do we fit six consoles in front of house, which sometimes two of them were H3Ks. So, you know, you've got 20 feet of real estate. that's just automatically done. There's did, nothing did bon- you can do about it. Did Bonnie Ray still have her, uh, her gamble? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, she was on a uh, let's see. I think she was on a SD 12 oh, Okay, that All one. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There
2: was some poor guy out in the back uh, where the video cameras were under a, under a pop-up when I (laughs) did my (laughs) stop. He just, there was no room for the poor guy. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That, that venue was the front house area. There is extremely tiny, but it was okay. It worked out.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of, it was kind of fun to sort of watch it um, kind of thin out as the night went on, you know? Um, But, you know, I got to tell you, man, it was, um, it was a cool experience to come out and, you know, I, I, I work in a lot of different environments and kind of, you kind of get the vibe of the tour and it seemed like you just had a really great group of people with you. And, you know, we met a couple of the folks that that, uh, that you were working with and um, it's, it seemed like a really nice uh, environment to, to kind of, you know, it, as grueling as the schedule was, it seemed like you had a good group of people with
1: you. Oh man, it was great. You know, yes, the schedule was grueling, but everybody got along and it, you know, that, let's that's the other thing in this industry. If you get along with everybody you're working with, your day is so much easier it It doesn't matter what you're doing. you can just be absolutely in the weeds and have an insurmountable task to accomplish and if you're getting along with everybody that's out there, it makes it so much easier. I mean just it it's so much better that way.
2: Yeah I mean you know it's one of those things where it's it's like you said it's tough enough as it is right so um and you know the other thing I thought was really neat about about your production we were kind of watching throughout the night as acts would finish up their set um it was very much like a festival in in the true sense where like this act's done let's get their stuff back on the truck i mean it wasn't like we're gonna wait and then load everything out i mean there were acts that were loaded out and done before the headliners were even on the stage and so um i think that really speaks to how finely tuned of a a production that was because it seems like when you have that many plates spinning um you know i think i think a lesser production management team would not have been able to pull off something like that
1: It was uh, the first year there was some fine-tuning that had to happen. Um, So this last year, whenever you came out, that was our second go-around with the whole thing. So we kind of knew what we were up against as far as the schedules and having five to six bands a day. Um, So there was a, you know, with knowing what you have to do going into it makes the planning part to get Mm. everybody in and out a lot easier. But yeah, I mean, as soon as a band was done, strike them, they're gone, you know like they're as soon as they're done and they're muted, the risers are gone, gears getting packed up. but what it what it really was able to do for the bands was they were able to be finished, you know, and even the tech guys, which and I heard from more than one of the road crews they were like, man, this is great, you know we normally when we're at a festival, we're stuck, our, we can't load our truck, we can't do anything till right. till the end of the night and the crowd leaves, but we were able to. Uh, get those guys out, which you know that that helped morale as well. You know, you're not having you're not having guys having to stand around for 16 plus hours doing nothing, just waiting to coil up a snake at the end of the night.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. It was really funny. The uh, my colleague who was with me he was uh, he. You know, he runs a lot of a lot of production circles. You know, locally and regionally, and so he knew some of the guys that were working uh, on the on the venue side. And so when we were towards the end of the night, the venue the venue guys came over and they were like. Hey, you guys want to help for loadout? We're like, no.
1: <laughs> so we we went home, but <laughs> we have tacos to go eat, guys. We cannot, we cannot do loadout. We have to go get tacos. And I, you know, the
2: other thing I'll say is, um, I think that was one of the only shows in recent memory where I just sat down, you know, as an audience member, and just enjoyed the show. And I very rarely, rarely get to do that. And it was a real treat, you know. So me and me and my colleague just kind of we sat down and and uh just watch the show for a couple hours and uh you know usually you're it's not it's it's a rare sensation for me to do that without worrying about the stress of like oh i gotta go deal with something or i gotta mix the next band or whatever and so it was, was kind of cool like you just hey we went to a concert you know <laughs> so so uh, yeah so thanks again for having having me out man i really enjoyed the opportunity
1: um absolutely i'm glad you were able to make it hopefully it'll happen again this year um we'll see how see how things go
2: We'll see. That's the that's the name of the game right now is the wait and see. (laughs) So, how did you kind of? I mean, you're you're obviously a really knowledgeable guy, and you know, as I've had the opportunity a couple times to chat with you now about your work and and the equipment that you're using. I mean, you you really have a really solid grasp on this stuff. So, how did you how did you develop your knowledge? I mean, what was your journey like to get where you are?
1: So I I was uh, online and uh, readily (laughs) blogged. Yeah, uh, Yeah. (laughs) I actually learned how to tune systems from Michael. <laughs> uh, no, so I uh, I went to a technical college um, and they had a program there for live sound and lighting. I was super interested in it when I was in high school. I was like, man, this is you know. I remember going to a show and sitting around after the show was over and and observing a loadout. I didn't know it was even called a loadout at that point. Um, and just thinking, man, that's really interesting. You know, like this looks, this looks kind of cool and started researching it. And, um, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe this is something I could, I could be interested in. And sure enough, uh, it's hard. I don't know when I think about like what, how I got into it and all that, it's kind of a blur. But so I, I went to a technical college and started interning with a production company and, Pretty much everything that they told me in technical college, they were like, "Yeah, you just need to unlearn that. We don't do that here. So oh. this is some real world job <laughs> experience. That we're going to teach you. Um, you know, your college was great and all, but this is uh, the real world operates a little bit differently. So there was um, there was an unlearning phase that had to happen after college before I was able to really get a grasp on." Uh, audio concepts and how to how to think on your feet. I mean, that's that's something you can't like teach without being in the field.
0: What what were what were some of I, I love that word unlearning. Uh, what were what were some of the key things or, or the first couple key things that you had to unlearn to move forward?
1: Oh man! So I think the biggest thing was gain structure. That was a huge one in college that was – there wasn't enough emphasis put on it, um, I don't think. And then, you know, you go out into the real world and you're sitting in Monitor Beach and you have like seven guys on stage like yelling at you to, you know, I need more vocal or I need more this in my monitor and, you know – and without proper gain structure i mean even in front of house but i i think it's ultimately more important in not, in monitor world too yes. like you have to have gain structure it's got to be right it like get that hot like it's fine turn like you want yellow <laughs> yellow is okay it's totally fine yes. um that was a big one and then another thing there was kind of a uh and, and even some of the interns that come through today that i come in contact with they're kind of i don't want to say given like a false false sense of reality and the fact that like they're going to graduate and like immediately start mixing front of house That's, for a, a band. Fair statement. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't work that way. Like i i spent 2 or 3 years before i ever touched a console, mm-hmm. you know, working at a production company and But you know what? All of that information was really useful for me to, like, know the backside of it and how it works, learn how to patch, learn how to read a stage plot and, like, you know, optimize that, learn how to do a festival dealing with multiple bands and how to set it up, how How to to, tear it down. How to patch
0: stages, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much back-end knowledge that um, I feel like guys these days are you know they're just like oh well I'm gonna I'm gonna go mix front of house for a band and it, it doesn't right. work that way
0: no that, that's definitely one of the things uh, so I, I go back and visit you know I, I went to recording school as well and um, and as one of the biggest things that I'll harp on to anyone you know it's like there, there are there are more system techs in this industry than there are mixers you know um, and so you, you will have a te- you know twice the amount of career ahead of you being a system tech. Um, uh, than you will being a mix engineer. Uh, and it doesn't have to just be like the guy who who is tuning the system. We're talking about PA fly techs. We're talking about stage jammers or whatever you want to call the stage patch guy. Um, like, you know, there's for every one system tech, there's three, four more other guys or girls uh, who are setting up the system. And so, you know, knowing signal flow and, and, and knowing how to, um, you know, assign a patch and, and do all those things are way more important than being able to, you know, turn a few knobs. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree that, that that back-end system that is, is often, you know, it's not, the, it's not the fun, glamorous stuff that people want to go to school for, but it's definitely the most uh, essential part of the gig for sure. Absolutely. Well, I,
2: mean, I mean, Tyler, I think I think you'd agree with me on this. You know, you're talking about when you do a 14, 16-eighths an hour day, I mean, oftentimes my hands are on a console for an hour or less out of that day. Absolutely. Know? So if you're like, all I want to do is mix, you know, um, the, the gigs where you can just walk into a venue and mix and walk out, I mean, those gigs exist, but they are few and they are far between. And I can guarantee you that the folks that are working in that capacity – um, worked their way to get there. They did not start off by walking into a club and mixing and then leaving again, um, you know. And so I think, um, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I often have to wonder if some of these audio programs that we see are in doing kids a bit of a disservice um, in, in glancing over this stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, there was one program, my friend went to a program where they walked in and I think she touched one, one model of audio console the entire time she was there and it was... Like a SD5 or something, which is, you know, obviously an incredible console, um, but is it representative of what you're be going to see in the early years of your career when you're on the road going through the clubs where everything's broken and you have to, you know, patch the PA back together every night. You know, absolutely not. And so as much as we need that knowledge, I think we also need like, hey, here's how you solder these cables back together. Here's how you can, you know, optimize a system's game structure real quickly if, if it's all crazy. And the stuff that you run into when you get into these clubs and you're like, all right, um, you know, tell the band to stay on the bus for half hour, I got to rebuild everything in here. I mean, those are, yeah. those are the days where you have to have that that practical knowledge or you're going to get it real darn quick or you're not, you know what I mean? And so, so I think from an educational perspective, I think there are some programs out there that, that could be doing, some are doing a very good job um, we have a contributor, Eric Ferguson, who teaches up at uh, Houston in Maine, um, and his students, uh, my apprentice is one of them, they're super prepared, they're super knowledgeable, and, they, and he's got them doing all these things, but there are some other programs out there where there's some big holes in, you know, st- like the stuff that you were talking about, Tyler. So I, I, I want to stress to the young people who are listening, um, get real intimate with your stage plots, learn how to patch that snake, you know, learn how to do all these, I mean, learn how to pack a truck.
0: You know, man, carry
2: trust. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the stuff.
0: I think I think the other thing, too, is like, you know, um, the disservice that's being had is that it's not even like being a system tech or a stage patch guy or fly guy is a is is. A, well, this is what you do now before you progress to being a mix engineer. Like it is a very viable thing mm-hmm. to be a system engineer or a patch guy or fly guy for your whole career. You know, you can make good money and be really good at what you do and, and and be a really good service to this industry and never have mixed a show. Like, that's perfectly acceptable. And I don't think that's talked about enough from the schools, from the industry. You know, um, you know, not everyone's built to be a, a mix engineer. You know, some people are just meant to be that guy to get that PA in and get that PA out uh, or girl. Uh, and um, so, I, again, I, I don't think that's stressed enough
1: absolutely and there's oh man we could we could talk for hours about you know all of all of the (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have to get tacos though somebody order tacos right now
2: yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah.
1: uh you know if you think about a think about a music festival anywhere or even even a touring band i mean granted granted when you're touring your patch is gonna stay the same nine days out of ten unless you have guests Mm. but if you're at a music festival, the patch guy is the most important person at that Absolutely. festival, hands down. Like that, whoever that person is, they deserve a raise. Like, let's just go ahead and say it: they deserve a raise if they're doing a good job, because that is that's the the heartbeat of of making things happen and making it efficient. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, that's such a great point. You know, why is it? I mean, I think we know why front of house is sort of the glamour seat. You know, if you look at the the audio trades deck of cards, I think you know front of house is is the one that because it it it's cool. You know, what I mean, like you've got thousands of people around you, and you're you're controlling what they all hear, and and you'd be shocked how many lay people I talk to who don't even understand that like the monitor engineer is a job. You know, it just never occurs to them. Um, and so, you know, for folks that are in this in the industry, you know, like the PA tech, the people like you said, Chris, the, their job is to get the PA in the air safely and quickly and efficiently and get it down and to fix things when they break and to just know those boxes inside and out. I mean, the front of house engineer is useless in, in isolation. They need their system engineers. They need their PA techs. They need their patch techs. And and without all of those folks, this stuff doesn't, doesn't work. Um, and so I, I, I think, you know, we could do to get a little more of these other roles out into the sunshine a little more.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know at outlaw, um, Last year, and even the year before that, I would get st- I would be stuck at front of house as the system engineer, um, and I literally I couldn't leave. I, I had I had my own thing going on out, out there, but having people on stage that I trust, and I didn't have to worry about oh is this going to get patched the right way, or you know do I have to worry about monitors taking off? I, I I literally have never had that worry on that festival. The the techs that were out there do a great job, and I mean. Everybody was just at the top of their game, hands down for sure. It was it was such a pleasure to be a part of that.
2: Well, what's the uh, what's the communication situation like when you've got this team of audio people? I mean, are you, are you having a, kind of a all right? Let's let's round up and go through some stuff together, or is it sort of everyone just go do your thing and call me if there's a problem? I mean, what what's the what's the dynamic like when you're working with a with a really competent crew like that?
1: You know, I think maybe the first show we kind of had like a little roundtable. Siesta at breakfast, and said, "Hey, you know, like this is what we need to do today." Blah blah blah. But then, you know, after you get a show or a show or two under your belt, it just it kind of goes on autopilot. And unless there's an issue, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of radio chatter, which was fine. It's totally fine with me. I would prefer prefer my days like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, for sure. And you know, one thing that I found is, you know. if I'm if I'm constantly running backstage to deal with something that is absolutely not the best use of my time, I mean that that something is getting ignored out front if I have to go do that. And so, you know, uh, trying you know from a production you know and budgeting angle, if you're trying to cut down on the stage, and I see this all the time, do you really need a third guy on deck? I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, if if you try to to cut that and to kind of you know spread the butter a little more thin i think you end up with bigger problems later where you 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 can't pay attention to the things you need to pay attention to because you're sort of cleaning up um after something and and so i i when i get to have a great crew on deck who can just do their thing and uh and they just go in there and own it and you know kyle was talking about a couple episodes ago you know run your house you know take ownership you know that that the days get so much easier for everybody else and the stress level goes down and and the result is better too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree a hundred percent. It's, um, those are the audio jobs that are totally underrated and a lot of people have no idea that those jobs even happen, but they are the heartbeat of, of show business and the entertainment industry. And like, yeah, your front of house guy might get all the glory for how the show sounds or whatever, but it's, Every all the other pieces that are involved in making that show happen are the real. That's that's where the the true talent is, in my my opinion.
0: What what's been um what's been your how have you developed your relationship with your mix engineers? Um, I know it's probably different from a festival from a tour. Um, and this kind of goes two ways. One would be the relationship just in the the simple tuning of itself and, and making sure that you guys are on the same page of what what they expect out of it, what you're trying to do. Um, and then uh, I think something we don't talk about too much is what what is your relationship like during the show? How much are you walking the venue? How much feedback are you giving to them? Has it ever been? You know, have you ever had a hard time maybe being honest in feedback that you've been giving them on 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 uh, on, on how things sound and stuff like that? What's uh, what's that dynamic been like for you?
1: Oh, man, well, um, we have to bring up the tilt. Here we go. We've got to talk about the Tilt. Um, So in setting up a PA system or, you know, any sort of speaker deployment, I guess for that matter, uh, you know, you had Howard Page on here a couple weeks ago and he was talking about the Tilt and Jim Yak has talked about it as well and written a great, you know, there's a lot of great publications about it. But that in itself has been like the single most pivotal pivotal point in as far as my system tuning optimization is taking out the tilt and how how much more musical things can sound without that that low frequency bump in, in you know and i think that generally i try to go for a flat system approach but some some uh, engineers don't like it their console mixes aren't set up for it so it's you know it's super strange to them you know they hear a pa and they're like man it just there's no there's no body to it it doesn't sound doesn't sound full or whatever but if you start with a flat pa you can always add the tilt back in if you have to it's there's a lot of tools these days to where that's super easy it's not like you're you have to reinvent the wheel to change the system tuning or put a tilt back in because most of the speaker manufacturers, all that stuff is built in and easily accessible through their software in real time. So um, at least on, in my experience, if I have to, you know, change, change a tilt or change of, I I won't even say EQ, we'll call it a voicing of a, of a PA system. I can do that on the spot. That's not, that's not a, a big issue. I just want the engineers to be comfortable with what they're mixing on. That's the biggest thing. Because if you're if you walk into a situation and you're not comfortable with it, it's you're going to have a hard time no matter what. So mm-hmm. anything I can do as a system tech to make them feel comfortable and mix their show, how they need to mix their show, that's what I'm going to do.
0: And, and what about during the like door during the show? What what's your relationship with them in terms of walking the venue, not not just listening to your assistant, but maybe, you know, do they ever ask you for feedback and and what's that like?
1: Um that's an interesting dynamic, and it definitely changes from uh engineer to engineer. Uh, I've I've got a good buddy who uh he used to mix government mule for a while, and he, you know, he, he was him and I had a great relationship. We still do to this day. But, he, you know, if I set up a system for him, I would go walk around, you know, multiple times during the show and he, you know, he'd be like, tell me what you think, tell me what it sounds like. And I would be totally honest, you know, whether it was good, bad or ugly, it was always good. But um, being able to trust your system engineer and the system engineer being able to speak up when they need to to the front of house guy, that's... uh. You know, that's that's something you can't really put a price tag on. But it's different from engineer to engineer. You know, some some guys are like, hey, the system's on. It's what I need. i d I'm good. Like, you know, do your walk. If if you need me to turn something up, come let me know. And that, you know, that might be the end of it. But it's a it's a fine line, I guess, in a nutshell. Yeah, fine that, line.
0: that makes a little sense. What um Specifically from uh, tuning and optimization, um, are you using are you using smart? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Are you uh, using multiple microphones, single microphone? How does that work for you?
1: Uh, so my typical setup is just a single microphone with a electrosonics, so I can take multiple measurements throughout the venue um, and gather data that way. I don't have a multiple mic setup currently, Uh it's really interesting though with modern PA systems and the software that comes with them how how scary accurate you can be with your predictions and yeah. then using smart is just more of like a reference tool to say yeah that's exactly what that's exactly what the software said it was going to do and that's something that you know touring with the same rig every day you get to really know like this is how this performs this is what if I'm gonna have any issues, I kinda of know where to look before with it's it becomes easier and easier to troubleshoot or make changes if need be.
2: Well, that's a great point. You know, the the kind of investigation versus verification, you know, I would call it, you know, there are there's there's really two two situations in which I'm whipping out the analyzer and it falls in one of two categories. Either, okay, I'm walking into something I've never seen before and okay, let's let's measure this thing and see what we're dealing with here, you know. Or um like you said, I've done the prediction, and i I have a pretty good idea of what I expect this thing to do, and I just want to make sure that it is behaving. Um, and i've I posted on my LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, um, I had a system that I predicted, and then I measured it from the same mic placements as I did in the prediction. And it was like, bang on. It was ridiculous how close it was. Um, even even being in a room, um, and I and I made a kind of side by side graphic of it, and I just said, you know, this is this is the importance of getting your prediction right because you know I put this thing up in the air, I put one filter in it, and it was done, you know, and that's just I can't speak uh, enough about doing your homework, you know, and if you think that you can just kind of ignore all the variables along the way and then hang the thing and then pull out a copy of Smart and make it work, you know. Uh, you're going to have a rough day.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you're going to spend a lot of time trying to fix it. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely verification, that's a great um, I I mentioned that in uh, the article I wrote last last year. But verification of just making sure everything is on, making sure it's working properly and that you have control of all your separate subsystems, that's huge. I mean that uh, that I mean no matter if you're as that that can apply to all different categories in this industry but like just making sure that you have control of your system and that it's on and it's functioning properly will save you a lot of headache let down the road yeah i mean and
2: it's something else i've said you know when i power up a system i will spray pink noise through each zone you know just real quick all the way down and you know oftentimes that will reveal a problem and that's the kind of thing that you will spend a lot of time trying to chase down later if, you know, you've got either a a clocking issue. And so when your inputs isn't coming up or if it's analog drive, you, you know, you dropped a a leg in the XLR. And so, you know, your bottom two boxes are down six dB from the rest of the rig. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that a a 30 second test will make that very obvious. And if you don't do that, and if you jump right to, okay, let me run out and take 10,000 measurements and, and, you know, tune this thing. Um, you're gonna just be digging yourself into a hole. I mean, the the analogy is like, hey, um, I'm trying to boost back high frequency, but you know my tweeter's blown. So you can you yeah can measure it and try to boost it all day, but it's not gonna come back, you know. And so so the verification, um, you know, oftentimes if if I have to pick between verifying a system and tuning it, I'll take the verifying it every time.
1: Absolutely, I'm the exact same way. When I'm setting up any sort of system, it's. Uh... Nine times out of ten you'll find if you can verify your system, the the tuning kind of takes care of itself. You know, it that's more of a that's more of a voicing mm-hmm. how how do you like the frequency response of your system to be. But yep. it if your system, if the left side doesn't sound like the right side, or say you have <laughs> say you have an NL8 in the in the middle, or a speaker cable in the middle of an array that's not twisted all the way, and you you've waited till 20 minutes before doors and you're just now figuring that out, you know, you have a big problem. Mm. You might, you might have two to three speakers in the middle of your line array that aren't, aren't working. Uh, and you know, it's too late at this point to bring the array in, you know, there's, there's people in the building or whatever.
0: In a quest uh, of never stop learning mentality, what's, what's next for you? What do you, What's next for you to try to tackle and, and, and dig deeper into that you uh, haven't been able to in the past?
1: So, right now, uh, I've had I have more free time than uh, I would like, but it's actually allowing me to dive a little deeper into uh, wireless. So that has been I actually spent like three or four hours the other day just on Shure's website watching watching their training videos on wireless workbench, and I've been trying to uh, learn more about RF and how you know how can i optimize that which is you know it's not something that i have to deal with every day when i'm being a system guy but i'm not always a system guy sometimes i'm on mm-hmm. stage sometimes i'm a patch guy what you know it, so i've just been trying to sharpen sharpen my skills with that yeah um, and you, you never know where the next gigs going to come from, too, especially
0: in this this climate of of yeah. shows and stuff like that. so I mean you know we it's one that we kind of talked about and things to do in your downtime is kind of diversifying uh your skills, diversifying your income, and so yeah, I mean you know who knows uh, and the nice thing about um system tech work and r f work is that that can that can be applied to corporate shows, it can be applied to Broadway, it can be applied to rock and roll it's it, it's not just It's not just about doing uh, rock and roll for sure
1: yeah, absolutely. What about you guys? Oh boy!
0: Um, you know what? I want to jump on the
2: RF coordination thing real quick because because <laughs> deflect. Um, <laughs> well, you know it, we're we're started like my friend runs a he runs a small rental company and so you know every year around this time all the high schools and colleges call and they say hey we want to rent some mics for our you know our school um, and ten years ago they were renting four channels eight channels and now they're renting twenty four channels you know um, and we are in the current environment of you know the spectrum situation we are well past the point where you can take 24 channels of wireless and turn them on and expect it to work um that's just not how it works anymore you know now we are if you don't scan and you don't run coordination you're going to have a really rough day um and so in a sense rf coordination is no longer optional and you know learning to do basic coordination and and, uh, you know I'm not talking about the Ike Zimbles and the the James Stoffels and the Peter Erskins of the world. Do these guys go out and do 500 channels? I wouldn't even know where to start. But, you know, if you can wrangle four or eight or 16 channels and get them solid and get them working with, you know, which is a pretty basic workflow, if you just follow the principles, um, that's a huge leg up. And, you know, the diversification thing, you know, the number, the the larger number of things that you can say, yeah, I can take care of that, um, the better off you're going to be when. When things start rolling, all right. So, what am I working on? Um, I am still really digging into a lot of the stuff that's going on around the globe with how different cultures, different societies, different governments are handling things like um, sound pollution, noise exposure. Uh, you know what's being legislated where. Um, there is a lot of it's kind of a patchwork quilt right now, and I am trying to get a better. Understanding of that—that's something that I've really been doing a lot of uh, reading on, and and also like this sort of you know the uh, the physiological effects of that. Uh, there's a ton of research out there now about you know what exactly damages our hearing and how do we perceive sound in different ways, and and how does our perception of loudness correlate to you know what the SPL is and the tonal balance and the you know, the time domain and the crest factor. It's just this this just rabbit hole that's just completely swallowed me. So um I'm reading a lot of like very dry medical studies <laughs> right now. That's kind of where I'm at.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm uh I'm trying to ride the coattails of michael and uh, glean what i can off of him no um no, <laughs> no in, in all <laughs> seriousness no we, we him and i've i've at least been trying to study a little bit of the spl stuff with him over the past couple of months which has been kind of fun but um now personally actually recently i've been doing a slight deviation from sound uh in learning um which is you know it's okay it's diversifying right no i'm uh, i've been studying a little bit about um the history of live sound uh, it's something I, I'm kind of fascinated by. It's it's kind of scattered about uh, and not in one central location. Uh, and so I'm looking to maybe try to unify that. And uh, we've kind of been studying the start, the um, uh, the art of storytelling and trying to maybe weave those two things together, the uh, the story of the history of live sound. So that's kind of what I've been uh, digging together and hopefully can uh, have something come out of that pretty soon.
2: Sweet, man. That's awesome. Well, Tyler thank you for uh, for lending us your time and your your uh, wisdom dude it was uh, really great to kind of hear your thoughts on a lot of this stuff and as always it's always great to chat with you man was, so thank you oh, for being thanks here. for having me
1: thanks yeah, for having me guys i appreciate it
2: absolutely chris do we have any uh, anything we need
0: to tell the tell the folks about um, no, just, you know, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we just crossed over 500 people who joined our Facebook group, which is awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, to Noise Podcast Facebook group. The link will be in the uh, description. Um, yeah, we want to grow that community. Uh, it's the easiest way for us. To, well, at least Kyle and I, cause, <laughs> fuck, um, to, I'm uh, old. I like email, send me an email. <laughs> you're of the group, anyway. uh, <laughs> um, it's an easy easy way for us to just really be engaged with uh with everybody who's listening um you know ask questions we you know we talk about you know just old gear or or other things and it's just you know a, a group of like minded people who are just trying to better each other that's really what all this is about and uh it's just kind of fun to see that grow and uh yeah that's the uh that's the biggest thing we've got so we you know we got a lot more people in the works and uh yeah hopefully uh, Kyle will get um, his uh, roller skate rink DJ gig going. <laughs> um, Randy will be able to live off of that, and we'll be good.
1: <laughs> I, I personally feel really sad that Kyle wasn't here.
0: Oh man,
2: well we'll have to we'll have to have you return when uh, when Kyle's <laughs> yeah. uh, back in town, and, and we'll all have a grand old time. But Tyler, thanks again, man. It was uh, it was a really is is a real pleasure having you on the show. So thank you for coming.
1: Thanks again, guys. Have a good one.